This presentation is from Design Research 2021, day one. So, of course, in the spirit of reconciliation, uh, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. And I pay my respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. So for those of you who might not know me, uh, my name is Oliver Weidlich and I'm the Director of Design and Innovation at Mobile Experience. And today what I'm going to be talking about is designing for the augmented human. And really this is a discussion around exploring spatial com computing, what I see as the next era in uh, human computer interaction and, and very much focused on the, the technology side of these uh, of the things that we'll be discussing in UX Australia. So today we're going to talk through three things. Uh, the first one is augmenting humans and how that's happened over the last uh, 10,000 years or so. Uh, obviously just a summary, so we'll, we'll fly through that. Then we'll talk about what is spatial computing and a couple of core aspects and elements of that. And what I think is interesting and how we've been designing aspects to it. And then of course at the end we'll talk about how do we bring all these things together into one single experience. Uh, that we can enable a whole new range of interactions. So let's go back in time and look at how humans have augmented the, their capabilities over the years. And of course, starting with fire and using fire to cook our food and providing a different level of nutrition for our brain and a whole different evolutionary path for, for human beings. We, about 5,000 years ago or so, we created the wheel, really handy thing, good to get things done. Uh, great object and of course about a hundred or 80 years ago now uh, we had the, the group of cognitive scientists who kicked off the whole field of ergonomics as they were exploring how people interacted, pilots in particular obviously, interacted with their control systems and that hardware. And of course the advent of co the computer and these big huge computers that took up the whole room and had a very high expert level, needed a very high expert level of knowledge to interact with them via punch cards. The computers got smaller. Uh, we had these different, this different type of interaction. We could bring these computers home. The home computer was invented. We had the, pro the command line to deal with and to interact with. And then we had the graphic user interface. And then we added to that the internet and we networked these computers together. We created communication channels and near real-time information that could be shared around the globe. And that was a phenomenal thing. And then we took those two things. We took the computer and the internet and we put them into a little device that we could carry anywhere with us and really change the types of things we could do by having that information on hand uh, and being in the flow of work, the things that we could do or not even and not constrained to a desk uh, and so on. So that, that created a real change. And again, going from that punch card uh, to the command line with a keyboard to the GUI with a mouse, to these, these smartphones with a touch interaction, very direct manipulation via a screen, obviously. And now we've got even smaller devices which are attached to us all the time, whether that's a watch or a ring, that can detect information not only around us, but also inside us, so heart rates and other biometric information. So this way of augmenting what we can do and using computing to help us uh, over the last bunch of years it has really changed how we interact with each other as people and also uh, how we can better understand ourselves and, and so on. Now we're going to talk about spatial computing 
And there's a great book called The Infinite Retina by Cronin Scoble that came out last year. And it really sort of talks about this whole new era of computing. And really, it's talking about how we combine a range of things to bring a new level of interaction between the physical world that's out there all around us and the digital world, which we as UXers have been used to uh, designing and, and trying to understand. And one of the things I think they left off this description, which I've put a little addendum on, is to make this a more natural experience, right? So the enabling spatial computing is in, should enhance the way we can, uh, through natural user interfaces, engage with the world around us and uh, augmented reality and things like that. So what is spatial computing? Well, we're not going to cover everything today, but it's things like Internet of Things, it's conversational UI with an intelligent agent, it's artificial intelligence, it's computer vision, uh, and all of these bits. It's the augmented, uh, the AR cloud, so the digitization of the real world around us, and it's things like wearables, AR glasses, uh, headphones, things like that, which will enable us to interact with that interaction layer. So today we're going to talk through a couple of things really four key aspects, the IoT, uh, intelligent agents, AR cloud, and AR glasses. And this is just a precept to then designing those experiences. So in terms of Internet of Things, you know, for a long time, the last 10 years, we've been talking about how devices, uh, these little devices can connect to the internet, to the cloud, sometimes via a mobile device, sometimes directly uh, through an alternative internet connection, but how they combine to create a continuous experience for us in different ways that better understand our environment. And we've had the opportunity to work on a range of projects uh, from a, a, a project that got uh, bronze at the Zurich Innovation World Awards globally uh, called Soldierly, which, look, which detects biometric information through a smartwatch or a Fitbit and it is for people, uh, army veterans, uh, who have post-traumatic stress disorder. And the aim is to detect the onset of that PTSD episode and share that biometric information with a device which can then convey, hey, do you want to do a breathing exercise, a meditation, or do we need to get emergency services to you based on the severity of that PTSD incident? So that is a is a IoT device that's looking inside us, okay, and understanding aspects of us. We've worked on projects like the wearable experiments, uh, Nadi yoga pants, which are worn on the outside, obviously, and have sensor wire woven through them and haptic feedback on the waist, the knees, and the ankles to detect where the human body is and how we might need to uh, tap it into place with little haptics to move your knee in a bit so that you're all aligned when you're doing your downward dog or whatever it might be. So that's outside the body. And then outside of us, how do we better understand the other things that we interact with? So we've worked with projects like GoFar. So looking at, at what information can we get from the car that can inform us as a driver? So this little light sits on your dashboard and based on the intensity of your braking or accelerating, we can give you a visual indicator. And if we can get you to drive better, then that improves the environment because there's less carbon emissions, there's less wear and tear on the car, you use less fuel, et cetera, et cetera. So again, us connecting to another device or object uh, outside of us. And then we've done projects like for the yield where we're actually helping farmers better understand their microclimate. So using an IoT sensor in the far on the farm, 
we can give them information about uh, whether it's soil moisture right through to wind direction and temperature and so on. For a particular parcel of land, they might have vineyards that go both sides of a hill. So a general weather information doesn't really help. But if you can talk about a particular vineyard or a particular side of the hill, that can improve productivity and improve yield uh, and make systems more efficient and things like watering, irrigation and spraying and so on. And of course, a lot of these IoT devices are now in our home. And this is an example I've talked about before as well, where in our house, uh, we've got it set up so that our seven-year-old uh, has a, a sensor on his door. And after 8.30 p.m. and before 7 a.m., if he happens to open that door, uh, then a light on my bedside table turns on to 17% blue. So that when he runs into our room, like this morning with the storm when it kicked in, uh, he can see us and be aware of us. And we get a bit of a, hey, Max is about to run in. So probably won't work as well when he's 16 or 18, but uh, let's see how that goes. But the main aim is that we're starting to create these systems on mainstream devices that can enhance our uh, abilities, but also the information that we might want from our environment. At Kai in Denver a couple of years ago, I saw this amazing project where uh, this, this team was working on a chip that was looking at the electromagnetic spectrum and understanding as we, you know, you didn't have to train it and teach it what a, what a device was. You could turn on the vacuum cleaner and it would see a change in the electromagnetic spectrum. So we're starting to take information from our environment, putting it into a computing experience to then inform various automations and, inter and potentially interactions. And now this is on mainstream devices. So whether you've got an Android or an iPhone, uh, you can actually enable it to detect sounds. So things like uh, a, fire, a fire alarm, a smoke alarm, I should say, in your house, and therefore trigger automations like maybe your smart lights turn red and flash, things like that. Or maybe it's a baby crying if just if you're in another room of the house and it can inform you of things like that. So this stuff is becoming mainstream. IoT, the devices, the services, um, not, they're not every for everyday use yet or not everybody's using them, but they're getting there. And then there's intelligent agents. And, and uh, October this year is actually the 10th anniversary of when Siri was first launched to the mass market uh, on the iPhone 4S and really kicked off a whole chain of events and a chain of devices, as you can see on this screen, uh, of intelligent agents from Siri to Google Assistant uh, to Alexa and Cortana, okay? And all of these intelligent agents have very different ways of interacting. Uh, and we need to keep that in mind when we're designing these devices. You can see the Apple ecosystem here. And to invoke Siri on these, you use a whole different methods or with different interaction methods with different types of devices. And of course, the output is different as well. Some of them have screens, some of them don't. Uh, all types of different interactions. And we as interaction designers need to be very aware of those things as, as part of this overall spatial uh, computing experience. And we've had the opportunity as mobile experience to work on an intelligent agent project uh, for people with cerebral palsy and to help them uh, gain some independence by not needing a carer as much and being able to understand or have better insight into the things they need to do during the day and other aspects of support and communication. And that's a, a really great enabler. And there's one project that I really wanted to, to mention, uh, the Intelligence Amplifier by Brian Rommel. If you haven't seen this, please check it out. Usually I share a video, but this is a, it's gonna be a tight talk as it is. Uh, so this is a $5 Raspberry Pi that Brian set up. It's got all that information you can see there on the left-hand side of the slide. 
and it's basically his uh, his assistant that looks at his particular interests and information. So it'll scan his Twitter feed, pull out the bits that he think that are important for him, and convey that through conversational UI. And he can have these interactions to ask what is what might have just happened, what he should know about, and it really distills things for him. And I think this this personal uh, intelligent agent, I think, will be critical where we own our own data that it has access to it to our own uh, our own individual data and personal data, but it's not shared with necessarily with a, a giant corporation. And then there's augmented reality and AR on mobile. We've got uh, you know everything from you know simple shopping stuff and a lot of AR at the moment is marketing via. Um, looking through a mobile phone, obviously, and there's been some significant uh, benefits to that from a marketing and a commercial perspective. Uh, but we sort of look at the broader aspects of things, and this is an Australian uh, pro uh, company called Jigspace uh, who use augmented reality to enhance learning. Uh, and by putting things in front of people and allowing them to interact in different ways, we have a more engaged experience of learning and, and enhanced. And we've looked at, at various elements of that, of things like, you know, going to the beach and how can we enhance that experience through a mobile AR lens. Uh, we've spent time down in Bondi with Charles Clapshaw, an augmented reality artist, doing research on how people actually interact with these environments and how do they even know that something is there, that there is an augmented reality experience to engage with. You know, so we've looked at the whole user journey around that from the QR code or some sort of trigger that needs to be there. Camera, at the moment, you then needs to might take you to a website, into an app store. It's a really clunky uh, user journey. And we're expecting that these things to improve over the next couple of years. And also that multi-user interaction of one person having an augmented reality experience through a device with AR content in an environment with an, a shared augmented reality experience, or even somebody who's not engaged in that AR experience, how do they have an interaction with these people as well? And those sorts of frameworks. Uh, and we've done projects with, uh, with clients as well for this type of mobile mediated augmented reality. But obviously next is the glasses and we've got things like HoloLens, uh, the Magic Leap glasses as well. More recently, Facebook have started talking about their uh, Facebook Reality Labs glasses that are gonna be for research purposes, uh, but to, understand what people might want to have through an augmented reality experience via these types of glasses. And Snap recently announced those theirs as well. Uh, not my fashion particularly, but the way I see these glasses is, is sort of like the Nokia 7100 or 7110 uh, way back in the day where it was a very simple level of internet interaction uh, through a green screen, through a grey screen. Uh, but that it enabled the internet uh, and enabled WAP at a very base level. And then the AR cloud, and this is really the environment around us and how do we digitise these types of things? How do we imbue the, the physical world with a digital twin uh, and these different layers of, of information uh, that we might choose to engage with? And of course, everyone calls these different things. We're at this formation of this spatial computing era. So, you know, different companies might focus on different sub aspects of this or different, uh, call it different things or have a slightly different view on these things. So there's a lot of work to go in, in, in doing this. But the key aspect is that the whole is the sum of its, is, is greater than the sum of its parts, right? We as UX designers have to understand each of these technologies 
uh, and then pull these experiences together and to make a cohesive experience. And so that's the designing experience. And the thing that really triggered this was seeing images like this out there on the internet, right, of these potential glasses that are coming up with just putting UI elements in the middle of your face, right? And us as UX designers look at this and go, this, this isn't real. This is not, not what the experience might be. So that's really sort of triggered us in looking at how do we put this all together? Understand the physical environment that's static, understand things within a physical environment that might move, understand the digital things in the physical environment and how they might communicate. Of course, the people in that environment, the things that they might be wearing, whether it's glasses or a watch or other things, and how might they interact through conversational UI or other aspects, uh, other interaction aspects around them. And the layers of these experiences. We've come up with a really simple framework, notifications, really, really uh, basic, just relay information based on context. And mobile experience is very contextual, right? We're trying to understand that context. The services layer uh, on top of that, which are things like I might be walking around with my glasses on and I walk past a sign or a restaurant and the phone number's on the restaurant on the outside of the building. And my glasses can detect that that's a phone number, a data, a data element, and I can call that straight away, right? A very simple service. So computer vision is a service. Then there's lenses. So things like history, you might choose to have a historical lens and look around the world and the things around you uh, through different periods of time, through a different lens of the physical environment around you. And then on top of that, applications uh, that are very specific uh, experiences around that. Uh, now, we've sort of done a whole range of thinking around this from the very basic, which is currently on mobile, which is setting up a geolocation notification so that when I go near my local chai shop, it triggers a thing on my mobile. But if my mobile's in my pocket uh, and it's related to a shop is in the physical world, that might not be really useful. So we've done a bunch of storyboards around this experience uh, and sort of explored how might this be different uh, through these types of interfaces. And that might be something as simple as a navigation experience, so destination, uh, next instruction, and uh, where you're heading and information embedded in the environment. So it's something like the speed limit how that might change uh, as you uh, go further and, and faster. So here, the person is speeding, so they get this real-time update that they're going 43 in a 40 environment. And then I get closer to my chai shop and it shows me that there's something in the physical world that I wanted to be reminded of. And hey, that store happens to open in a couple of minutes. So I might wanna get directions there. And then I might see uh, uh, that there are two car spaces close by because we understand the physical world and we understand that there aren't people booked into those spaces, which one's closer to the, the shop that I'm trying to go to, what might be the better rate or the better parking top. And then we go through, and I apologize, I know I'm going over, so very quickly, uh, something as rich and as engaged and as emotionally engaging as wedding planning, right? So we might go along and I might be the wedding planner and I've got a, a bride and groom with me to be, and we're looking at the venue when we're going, okay, well, how would it look with various chairs, various positions? And what if we want to look at the dance floor? How would the chairs and tables move apart? I don't really like, the bride doesn't like the pink on the chairs. So let's change those to white. Let's look at the seating plan and let's look at how that plays out. And then we know that, that unfortunately, Laura and, and John and Andy, sorry, have just broken up, Lauren. So we've got to move them and them to a different table. So how do we engage and through gestures and interaction and speech, uh, put them in a different position that's maybe more useful 
to them and see the available spots and and how we might shift people around in a much more direct manipulation and within the physical context of the environment. What might the bridal table or the view from the bridal table look like when the sun's going down and things like that? So there's some of the things that, that we're exploring. And uh, I just want to wrap up uh, with just a quick quote from Silke Sietzma, uh, who is an Aussie and uh, was back in Australia a month ago and got, got to catch up with Silke. And she heads up uh, Emerging Design at Adobe, and she's written a lot about spatial computing. But I think the key thing for a UX crowd is how do we think about all these experiences and design great user experiences and great interactions with this whole new era of spatial computing? And how do we help the technologists and those people who might want to use spatial computing uh, to use it in a sensible, informed uh, and useful way. So apologies for going over time. Uh, thanks again to UX Australia uh, for, for having me.